Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here to start off another week as the second half of the season is well and truly underway. The Bucks picked up a maybe more difficult than we expected win yesterday against the Washington Wizards. They will face them again uh, tonight, probably, as you're listening to this podcast. They beat the Wizards 125-119. And before... I bring in my co-host today. I do have to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. And uh, we'll be talking about Built Bar Madness a little bit later. So uh, I'm sure everyone can't wait for that. But from the Bucks Radio Network, from Courtside Live, of course, in the uh, mostly usual Sunday evening recording slot here is Justin Garcia and... We were just talking about this Wizards game a little bit before we started recording, and we're going to talk about Joel Embiid. We're going to talk about some roster movements for the Bucs. There's a few different things that we want to get to here today. But this Wizards game was a, it was a strange one, but it was also a typical Wizards game. And funnily enough, we've seen the Bucs a couple of times over the last few seasons here getting this type of matchup with this Wizards team even though the personnel has changed, they play at a crazy pace. They put up a lot of points. You can also score a hell of a lot on them. That was very much the case in this game where it was just frenetic. It was crazy. It was up and down. The defense wasn't exactly at a premium, but the Bucks in the end were able to get home basically on the back of their star players, knocking down some clutch free throws, hitting a couple of big shots, Giannis triple-double. They got the result we expected. Maybe this was just a typical Wizards game. It feels like it. I mean, <laughs> the last few years, it's usually high-scoring games. And I think this came up to um, Coach after the game yesterday. But it, it, the point you made at the start, it, it feels like not only do we see high-scoring games, but they're close. And I want to say that game last year that Giannis didn't play in where you had Bradley Beal and Chris both going off, and that was the Chris 50-point game. I want to say that one was relatively close down to the end that for whatever reason it's a Wizards team that can score and um, it feels like we've also seen the Bucks play them a lot of times without Giannis I know he played the game in the bubble and he obviously played in the game over the weekend but that's going to factor it as well when you take him out of the mix and you're facing a team that already scores a ton of points so they're just one of those teams that um, you know you look at every year when you look at teams that score the most and who are the best offenses in the league and you know think about last year too when we made all the uh, talk about what the Dallas Mavericks were doing which was historically the best offensive season in basketball the Wizards were right there with them for most of the season that they're just one of those weird teams that it kind of sneaks up on you where you think holy cow the Wizards are actually one of the better offenses in the league in terms of scoring not necessarily efficiency but yeah, I mean, I think that's the reason why we certainly see high-scoring games and we see games that are closer than many would expect. 
Well, another game that the Bucks played against the Wizards in that season actually went to overtime as well. Yeah. And again, that was a night where Chris Middleton had a big one. He had 40 points, I believe, in that game. Hit some clutch shots in the extra period there. But last night, he really struggled. He was only 3 for 12, uh, 1 for 4 from the, uh, from the three-point line. I mentioned he did hit those clutch free throws, and he was 9 for 9 from the line, which in the end proved critical. But there's no doubt as far as Chris Middleton goes, uh, he has been... In a little bit of a slump, I guess, if you want to call it that. Funnily enough, uh, Dean Maniart uh, sent this graph through or this uh, these stat lines through. So this is the last 15 games, which was uh, which goes back to the date to the first game that Drew Holiday missed when he was out with health and safety protocols. So Chris Middleton in those 15 games in which the Bucks have gone nine and six, but we know uh, that included the five game losing streak. There, uh, he's averaging 20.1 points. Uh, 6.2 rebounds, 5.5 assists. He's getting you a steal and a half per game as well. So the numbers are still really, really, really good, even though it feels like he's had a couple of off off nights here. As far as the shooting splits go, he's at 45, 34, 85. So no doubt, efficiency down a little bit there, particularly from the three-point line where we expect uh, that he is going to knock down some of the open looks that he's just been missing. And I, I guess that would be the one thing I would point out with Chris Milton it does feel that he's getting the exact looks that he always gets and typically is money on so uh, for me no concern with Chris Milton over the course of a, a long season and perhaps coming out of the all-star break who knows he didn't play in the all-star game this year that's been a way potentially for him to keep rhythm in the last two years but he's come out a little bit cold here but given the way that he uh, is able to still get to his spots and get his shots I'm not really too concerned about that no, I'm not concerned. I mean, it, it's it's not like, you know, I, I think a lot of people have made the point too that for as good as his numbers were early on in the season, what what jumped out to them, some of the national guys that that come in and take a look at this team once in a while is, you know, Chris Middleton could probably stand to take some more shots. So it's not like the numbers have dropped off because uh, he's just taking more shots and they're tougher shots or or they're not, you know, the typical looks that he would get. He's getting the same ones. It's just he was hitting at a really, really high clip very early this season. And you would expect a little bit of a, a regression there. But I, I also want to say, I mean, who knows how much stock you can really put in it this year when the calendar has been thrown off so much. But I do want to say March has typically been his best month or one of his best months of the season when you look at the shooting splits in the games that he's played. So hopefully that's in line to turn around. Um, but, I mean, even despite those struggles, you you just gave the numbers there, too, and you look at the season numbers, I mean, there's no massive drop in his numbers. And for a 15-game stretch where we're saying, hey, Chris hasn't been quite as efficient, I mean, it's not like he's he's gone out there on a nightly basis and just turned in bad performances. So I think that's the most encouraging part is we're talking about Chris Middleton struggling, and it's you know that he's still scoring 20 points a night. He's just not shooting 50% from the floor and 40% from three. Well, it is funny to me to when you put it in that perspective, Justin. We think back to Chris Middleton from a few years ago where if you had said, oh, Chris Middleton's getting you 20 points a night, six rebounds, six assists on 45, 35, 85, we would have said, this is unbelievable. I didn't know that he could be that type of player. But now we've got used to him getting those 20 points on 50, 40, 90. So it's a great point you make. I mean, the numbers are still there for him. Of course, he's going to have nights like last night where he only scores 12 points. But I think that also there is a natural pile-on that kind of happens. If Middleton has one or two off nights in a row, then all of a sudden uh, it's time to time to trade him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not concerned about that. I do want to talk about Giannis 
a little bit later in the pod because, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to get on to Joel Embiid and obviously uh, the events that happened on the weekend that certainly uh, relate to the Bucks for the rest of the season and, of course, their matchup in just a few days here. But the one thing I did want to point out, because I don't think that this is a game that we really need to spend a lot of time discussing, but I did see a lot of question marks about the defense, which is often the case when the Bucks are losing the game at any point, whether it's the first quarter, second quarter, if the Bucks fall behind, typically you'll see a lot of stuff about the defense. To me, when I was watching this game, it's remarkable that the Bucks were able to score 125 points and finish actually 43% from the field, 43 for 99, because watching that second quarter where the Bucks did fall behind, you, we, I'm not sure if this is official. I guess this is the official number. I know you were reading some of them out, so correct me if I, I don't remember this, but 29% shooting in the second quarter. They were 8 for 27 for the whole period. But remember, from the moment where Giannis went to the free throw line because of the flagrant foul, the wrap-up play, the, basically the headlock that Alex Len put Giannis in, the Bucks went on a real run from that point on and made a couple of shots to finish the quarter. So I believe before that, they must have been around 2 for 19 or 2 for 20 or something like that. So to me, when I was watching this game, I wasn't getting frustrated about the defense. I was simply thinking to myself, at, against any team in the NBA, if you go for a 10-minute stretch where you're 2 for 20, chances are you're going to find yourself losing on the scoreboard. And the fact that the Bucs are only losing by 10 points was actually quite remarkable and made me think, they're going to find a way to win this game. Yeah, it was up until, I think, three and a half minutes. And, you know, watching the game, you knew oh, this hasn't been a great quarter. And I didn't realize it was, it was quite that bad until we got the email with the quarterly stats and then looking back at the play-by-play logs. But it was there were two of 20 to start the quarter all the way until about three and a half minutes left in that second quarter. And, you know, the other point you made of, of them scoring that many points and winning when you, you essentially punted a whole quarter playing like that, that they were, they were that poor in the second quarter. Um, but more than that, I mean, we've seen similar instances this year where Giannis has a great game, but there's just nobody else that has it going on the same night as Giannis and they lose the game. I know all five starters scored in double figures and they had eight, I think total that were in double figures, but outside of Giannis, nobody really had a good, or great performance that Giannis was terrific. Chris hit some big shots late and hit the big free throws late and drew hit some big shots late in the fourth quarter. You did get some big shots off the bench uh, from Pat Connaughton and from Brent Forbes, but nobody really stands out and they were still able to win this game despite not really having that consistent guy. They got it sporadically throughout the game, but they didn't really have that consistent secondary score throughout the game. Yeah, no question. And, and again, if you look at the box score from this game, as you sort of pointed to there, 12 for 19 for Giannis. He was actually two for four from the three-point line again. And a couple of those first two, that, that I mean, they look pretty damn nice. I will say that. Seven for eight from the free-throw line. So again, the Bucks overall, 22 from 25 from the free-throw line helped them, uh, particularly down the stretch. But again, an efficient night for Giannis and everyone else uh, seemed to have a little bit of a rough time of it outside of Pat Connaughton, who we should mention was three for five. Uh, from the outside. Uh, let's get on to the roster moves uh, for the Bucks. Before that, I'll mention Headspace, our sponsor of the show. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. 
overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need help falling asleep, which is pretty much where I fall, I fall into that category. Headspace has wind-down sessions for their members uh, that they swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. So maybe that's one for Frank. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether he's struggling to sleep. But you deserve to feel happier and Headspace is, a med- is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA. That's headspace.com slash locked on NBA for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. And then once you've calmed down, jump over to betonline.ag, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. It covers the NBA, college basketball, which I know the brackets came out today, NHL, whatever you, whatever you want to bet on. It's right there. Awards, TV shows, reality, reality TV, they've got it all. They have the real up, real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code LOCKEDON and head to betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. March Madness is here, and that means bracket challenges. Join our Locked On Listener Bracket Challenge group on ESPN. Submit your March Madness picks, beat your favorite hosts, and if you win, you will get, get, you will get a guest appearance on Locked On Today. Unbelievable, with Peter Bukowski. What an honor that would be. That's the Daily News podcast here on the network. The link to join is in the show notes of this episode, so you can check that out wherever you are listening and get your picks in today. Uh, you do a bracket, do you, Justin? Um... Yeah, I mean, I typically do, but, um, you know, obviously none of us did last year. And I have seen zero college basketball games yeah. this year. So I'm sure I'll do one, but uh, I, I wouldn't like my chances of uh, making an appearance on the uh, Lockdown Show with Peter. Well, someone texted me the other day. A friend texted me and said, oh, are you watching Cade Cunningham right now? And I said, no, of course I'm not watching Cade Cunningham. What the hell do you think? Like, who do you think I am? No way. I'm not watching him. By the way, I think I saw Wisconsin are a nine seed. Is that right? What about, is Marquette they're not in it this year? Is that? Yeah, do I, I, uh, I don't think Marquette is in the tournament. But yeah, I just saw that as well, that Wisconsin uh, is in the tournament as a nine seed, I think, against North Carolina. Oh, well, thrilling stuff. Thrilling stuff for Badgers fans there. I actually do, or I have missed, I will say this. When the Bucks were on the road last year and I wasn't traveling and it was an off night, if Marquette was uh, playing at home, I would wander down to Fiserv for him. I managed to uh, make some friends that had season tickets. So I was able to just say, listen, I'm a poor Australian. Uh, I, I can't afford to go to this Marquette game. Please, like, let me buy you a few beers and let's go watch the basketball. So that was pretty much my tactic and you know i've said this before marcus howard he was always fun to watch but anyway this isn't locked on college basketball so let's get back on track there was a roster move over the weekend for the bucks now uh we know jalen adams that we discussed this on the show probably a week ago i guess it was jalen adams uh was not going to be with the bucks anymore he was the two-way guard Miles Powell was in the news a little bit. We briefly discussed him on the show, despite the fact that it's kind of a funny situation with the two-way players right now because the G League season is done. Yes, they can hang around with the team, but you're not going to see Miles Powell break into the Bucks rotation. I think we were all feeling pretty fine 
about making that judgment. Well, he never really got to the Bucks. And it's funny because I had a few people tweet at me yesterday and ask, what happened to Miles Powell? And I kind of felt like saying, who really cares? It doesn't really matter. I mean, he wasn't going to play. I can only assume that he didn't pass the physical or something of that nature. But the way this generally works uh, for us, Justin, is they'll, there, there might be a tweet you know, from one of the newsbreakers that'll say, oh, such and such is signing with the Bucks on a two-way deal. Eventually, we'll get uh, an email from the Bucks with a, an official release announcing the signing. That never came. So uh, something didn't quite happen there from when that tweet first came out, which I believe was from Shams there. But uh, yesterday, or I guess early this morning, wherever you are in the world, Axel Tupan is back. One of Jason Kidd's... Uh, I, I guess he was a, a favorite of Jason Kidd. Who knows? I'm fine to say that. He's back on the Bucks with a two-way contract. This is official. Uh, he played with Milwaukee... Uh, two games back in the 2016-2017 season. He played six total minutes. He was 0 for 1 from the field. He picked up one personal foul. Uh, interesting to note, though, the Bucks did go 1-1 one one in those two games. So Axel is back. Uh, I do remember him that yeah. year. And um, I don't remember what the reasoning for him being added was. And just uh, looking through the, the time frame that he played and, and then, you know, in turn looking at the roster for the Bucks that season, it is quite a trip down memory lane to see some of the names from the 1617 club that were on the team and in that same spot as Axel Tupon. But um, I remember, you know, we started to hear a lot about Mamadi Diakite a couple of weeks ago for what he was doing in the G League bubble. And I think it was Kevin Pelton that did a piece for uh, ESPN talking about, here's the guys that have made the biggest impact in the G League bubble. And these are guys that I think are probably going to end up getting maybe a 10-day contract or signing on as a two-way player for the remainder of the season with a team. And Axel Tupon's name was on there, that he was one of the handful of guys that were pointed out. And that then evoked the memories of, oh, I remember that guy for a couple of games. Um, but I also wonder if, you know, I don't disagree with the points that you made about, keep in mind, we're talking about two-way guys here. And it's the other thing with Mamadi Diakite, where – I think we can all salivate over the athleticism and defense is certainly the name of the game for Mamadi. But as we saw in the first action that he got, I mean, he, there's still a lot that he has to pick up. And there was the goaltends. He's still physically outmatched by a lot of the guys that he's going to defend. So it's not as though the Bucks are ever going to say, okay, Mamadi Diakite is coming in and playing some big minutes for us. And the same is said here, but I do think this gives you more insurance of, well, if we do have, a rash knock on wood of injuries where we are pretty thin on the wing. This is a guy that has played at the NBA level. So if we need to turn to him and you know, not necessarily lean on him, but we need to get 10 minutes out of him for a couple of games in April or May, we feel more confident with him than some of the other guys that are out there. So I do think that was probably one of the big reasons for his signing. I mean, he's definitely got size. He's 6'7", uh, 28 years old now. So he's a mature body. He was with the Santa Cruz Warriors. It's funny. Uh, I do remember when the Bucks signed him, and I guess this to me, and this again goes back to some of the conversations I've had on this show where I've said, how can anyone possibly go back to those days and say, I miss watching those teams play? Because I remember when the Bucks signed Axel Tupan actually spending uh, quite a bit of time trying to watch highlight videos, seeing whether this was anything that could be potentially at least interesting as far as a guy that might be able to bring something to the table. Because at that point, that was basically where we at. The Bucks were a fringe playoff team, and you were wondering if they could find a 
a hidden gem there. So it is funny to go back and think about that. But you're right. I mean, this season when we've seen teams be wiped out by health and safety protocols, you might need someone that has least, at least been playing and at least is ready to go. So certainly um, from that point of view, it's interesting. As far as Diakite goes, I know uh, yesterday there was a couple of tweets out there. Well, what does this mean? And and <laughs> wondering, oh, the Bucks going to give Diakite a guaranteed deal. Well, the simple way I would put this is G League players are, or two-way players are now allowed to be with the team for the rest of the season. So in terms of the 50 days uh, service time that was the former rule, that doesn't matter anymore. So the G League is done. So Diakite is going to be around the team and he's going to be able to travel with the team and be an active player if the Bucks so choose for the rest of the season. So why would they actually give him a guaranteed yeah. deal? Because he's already on the books and with the team. So why would you, <laughs> why would you use the very, very little cap space that you have to give to this guy, it literally makes no sense. Now, one thing that perhaps people may uh, suggest or think, and I, I conferred with Frank Batten just to make sure that I had uh, my, I didn't have my wires crossed here. Some people may say, well, yeah, but then you can lock him in moving forward. So uh, what I understand and what Frank has basically confirmed is that uh, with two-way players, they can't be poached by other teams. He will be a, right. he could be a restricted free agent at the end of the season. So uh, basically... The point of all this is, if the Bucks want to keep Diakite or they want to give him a deal, they can do so at the end of the season and they're going to have no problems being able to do so unless some ridiculous, crazy team came over the top and said, oh, wow, we're really impressed by the Lakeland Magic form there. We're going to give him a big contract, which is not going to happen. So that's the answer right. there. So no, uh, this never really was a sign that Diakite was going to get a guaranteed deal unless the Bucks are being very irresponsible with their very little cap space. Well, and, and even if you could... Um, just poach him off of the Bucks roster. There's maybe you know two or three teams that fit the criteria of of teams that would be in a position to do that because no 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 team is going to look at that performance for 12 games and say okay you've earned yourself an NBA contract. They would be looking at two way deals, and I mean the only teams that would do it would be your very very bottom of the barrel teams like right now the Houston Rockets and the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Pistons and teams like that that would just say you know what we're playing for the future anyway so maybe we can catch lightning in a bottle with this guy the point being it's a very very small percentage of teams that would be in the position to do that and the Bucks have no incentive like you're basically <laughs> saying you know what we know you're already pretty much strapped and up against the cap and you still need to figure out ways to add to this roster but why don't you just throw that plan in the trash? And this guy was really good in the G League. So pay him more and just keep him around for the next few years. It makes no sense. And, you know, when we talk about that 16-17 team, and as I said, just looking through some of the names on this roster, and you remembered Axel Tupan, uh, the signing of him. You remember who, at least in my memory, it was this way. The guy that the Bucks brought in that year during the season, that was – um, you know, basically getting the attention that this year Mamadi Diakite has, where most of the fan base was like, finally, they've got this guy, they can free him and let's give him some playing time. And it just never happened. I totally forgot about this until looking through the uh, list of rostered players in 1617. But Terrence Jones, after the Pelicans <laughs> cut him, and there was a big discussion of who was going to sign him because he was only three or four years into the league and he was a stretch four, and the Bucks got him and just 
never did anything with him. And oh, by the way, we, we haven't, I don't think we've seen Terrence Jones back in the league since. So it just goes to show you, it's great to put up numbers in some of those situations, but it, it doesn't always make for the best player. And the big point is that really is probably going to be noteworthy to those that, that really want to make sure that Diakite stays around. And to be honest, I've said, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm very intrigued. I don't necessarily think it's going to translate to playoff success this year, but a long term, particularly with the situation the Bucs are in, that's the type of guy you want to keep around, is that he's fine. He's going to be with the team yeah. for the rest of the season. So there's no need at this point to give him that well, uh, NBA contract anyway. And so I was actually talking about this with Ted before the game against the Wizards on Saturday, but I don't mean this as a slight to, um, to either of the two players, and I don't mean it to limit my expectations for Diakite because I, too, am very much intrigued and would like to see him eventually get some opportunities down the road. But I think just going off of what we've already seen, I think the ideal scenario is he is a better version of Thon Maker, that that's the best case. That's what you hope to get from him. Well, Justin, that's, that's, that's a pretty damn good player. I mean, Thon Maker, I know he's not in the league right now, but we're nearing the playoffs. And we know that's when Thon Maker plays his best basketball. And, the, and you know, I will say this, the crazy thing about Thon Maker is the fact that when you go back and watch the highlights, and they, they always come up on Twitter every now and then, uh, it's electric in the Bradley Center. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable to think that he's not in the league right now. So who knows what's going to happen there. But yeah, I don't necessarily uh, disagree with you there. I, I would probably say Diakite does look like he has more natural basketball uh, feel. Instincts and ability. Yes, yeah. yeah, instincts is probably the right word there. So we... We'll wait and see, but the good thing is, and the fun thing is, he's going to be around the team. Uh, and I say this, not only does he seem to really love being around the team, the team seems to love him as well. So uh, it's fun. It's fun seeing him uh, with this team. I want to get onto Giannis and Embiid, but we're going to talk about Built Bar Madness because we've been telling you about Built Bar, which of course is the best tasting protein bar on the market. It's low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. It's the amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all bars. Now, it's the time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It's Built Bar Madness. Now, uh, I've got the website up in front of me, and uh, we are rolling through the sweetest 16 right now. Now, we discussed the matchup uh, over the weekend or on Friday, which was the Juro Puff first Cookies and Cream. Now, Cookies and Cream, first bar through to the enticing eight. Uh, some of the sweetest 16 matchups we have here, and just, just give us a, a one-word answer here, what you're thinking. Peanut butter brownie or coconut almond? Coconut almond. Oh, uh, peanut, I'm not a coconut person, so uh, peanut butter brownie and a landslide. Wow, okay. What about toffee almond or mint brownie? Uh, I also am very partial to mint. That's one of the flavors I always buy, so I would go with mint brownie there. Yeah, peanut butter or coconut puff? I think we got the answer there. We got the answer there. <laughs> All right, well... You can go to builtbar.com and get involved here as well. Also, at bar underscore built. Uh, now, I've had a couple of people DM me this since I started doing this, and they've said, listen, I didn't actually know that it was built bar because of my, I guess it's because of my accent. So let's be very clear here. And I do think that the majority of people understand what I'm saying, but it is B U I L T builtbar.com. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar ever. 
Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs. How much do you really know about these potential NBA stars of tomorrow? From our conversation earlier, Justin, I think it's very clear I know nothing. But if you want to know more, then you need to subscribe to the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. Prospect scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. Uh, let's talk about really what was the big news from around the league across the weekend, and that was Joel Embiid. Now, I was watching this game live at the time, and I was very interested to just watch Joel Embiid because he was completely tearing this game apart single-handedly. And we know he missed some time with health and safety protocols. He threw down multiple poster dunks. It was ridiculous. He was just completely going off. And on one of those dunk attempts, uh, his knee bent in a way that is not supposed to happen for any human, but it's definitely not supposed to happen for a seven-foot, humongous, gigantic human being that weighs as much as he weighs. Uh, and he was in a lot of pain. And before we went and watched the replay, I must admit, I was thinking, this is not good. I mean, this has got to be the season for him, considering the injury history that he has now. Joel Embiid, to this point, it looks like he's only going to miss a few weeks now, given the fact that he has had conditioning issues in the past and not always the fittest of NBA athletes. Let's just say that. I think conservatively, we can say he's probably going to miss three weeks, which is a significant portion of the rest of the regular season. But also, uh, he will miss the matchup with the Bucs in a couple of nights' time here, which I, I will say is disappointing. I think for the Bucs, it would have been a good litmus test to play this Philadelphia team with Joel Embiid, get a bit of a feel for how they're going to defend him, how this new-look Sixers team plays. So not only is this a shame for us who wanted to watch this matchup, but it is a kind of conference-altering injury despite the fact it's not season-ending. Well, it's, it's disappointing for basketball fans to not see Embiid versus Giannis again. And the magic that those guys have had in most of their recent matchups, and especially on St. Patrick's Day, when you think back to the game that was played here a couple of years ago where Giannis went for 50 and Embiid, I think, had 48 and helped the Sixers win that game. So that part is disappointing. As somebody with a vested interest in the Bucks, I am not at all disappointed because, as you mentioned, this is something that could really swing the Eastern Conference. And I, I mean, I think it's going to be at least three weeks. When you saw the way he was reacting and you saw that play unfold, I was watching it in real time as well. Um, I was anticipating this season was going to be over or it was going to be, you know, like a, an eight-week injury or something like that. So when they said, came back with a conservative estimate of two weeks, I was a little surprised, but I also feel like it's going to be a reevaluation in two weeks and, you know, it's going to be another two weeks. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be longer than two weeks, I think, just based off how it looked and what Embiid's reaction was. But the way that it swings the conference is, you know, for as much as we've said, it's more important for the Bucks this year to just – learn how to do things differently and to show some versatility and work through things in the regular season. I think you can also say winning the regular season is more important this year than it has been in either of the previous two years because of those top three teams in the Eastern conference. And it's, it's different this year than it was the last few years where I know Miami beat the bucks in the playoffs last year, but it, it really wasn't like that at all that it was, you know, we were seeing two teams run through the East and really one team last year, the Bucs. And the year prior, it was the Bucs and the Raptors. You didn't really have a third team quite on the same level. This year you do. 
So it's almost imperative to win the conference and make sure you don't have to go through two of those teams, that you're only going through either the Sixers or the Brooklyn Nets. And I don't know just based off scheduling here because both the Sixers and Nets have easier draws in the second half than the Bucks do. I don't know that, that it's going to happen, but where it does help is if Joel Embiid misses an extended period of time, and I, I know the Sixers have already played quite a bit without him this year, but if that happens, maybe that pushes Philadelphia down to the three line because if you're telling me you have to go through these two teams to get to the finals – I would much rather have to play the Brooklyn Nets in the conference finals than in the second round. So if you're the two seed and the Sixers are the three seed, or even if you're the three and the Sixers are the two, that's more ideal than having to play Brooklyn in the second round. And with Joel Embiid being out for possibly an extended period of time, that certainly increases the chances there. Two and a half games back of the Sixers currently. And, you know, as much as I've, always been someone that said games like the one against the wizards as far as a genuine takeaway point or whether or not i'm going to watch anything that happens in that game and get mad about it no i'm not because i just don't think it means anything but the longer the season goes those games are going to become more important to make sure you take care of business and win so the fact that the bucks were able to win yesterday is big now the sixers played their first game without joel Embiid uh, with this injury against the Spurs this morning and beat them by 35 points, I think. I mean, they were incredible. We've seen them play really, really good basketball without Embiid in the lineup and Ben Simmons really running the show in the past. We know they've got improved shooting. Danny Green had a big night. Seth Curry had a big night. So we'll see how much this really impacts them. But I will say that game against the Sixers this week becomes a must win if you are trying to gain ground in the stand is because without Joel Embiid there, you want to take advantage of that one. I will say Embiid can't win the MVP anymore, though, which is interesting. If you are tracking any type of chance for Giannis to win the MVP this season, if that's something you're following, again, I don't think he necessarily can win it. But Embiid, so I've gone ahead and said, okay, uh, it is March 15 right now. A conservative return date for Joel Embiid. And of course, it could be a few games earlier here. We'll wait and see. But a conservative return date I have is April 11, which would mean that he would miss 14 games. Now, even if he comes back a few days before that, you're still looking at a 10 to 12 game absence. He's already missed seven games so far this season. So overall, you're looking at around and missing around 20 games. Third of the season, yeah. yeah. And he's not going to play back-to-backs down the stretch after this injury, let's be honest. So he's going to miss around 20 games in a 72-game season. So he can't win the MVP. I think that's fine, which, you know, Embiid fans might be a little bit upset about. It's going to bring back the old Malcolm Brogdon debate. I tell you what, they're going to be very upset about that. But overall, I look at the numbers between these two players anyway, and this is where, again, the uh, let's, let's just call it voter fatigue with Giannis comes into play. So Embiid this season is averaging, averaging 20, 29.9. 11.5 and 3.3. Giannis is averaging 29, 11.6, and 6.1. True shooting percentage of 65 for Embiid, 63 for Giannis. Their seasons are virtually identical. And again, if I go back to the last 15 games, which of course included the Drew Holiday absence, Giannis is averaging 31.7 points, 12.2 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 1.5 steals, 1.7 blocks. And he's shooting 75% from the free throw line, which it doesn't count to MVP, but it's just a good number for us to, to read out here. So we are actually starting to see in the media 
the Giannis conversation start to happen where people are starting to realize you can make the case that Giannis is playing better than he was last season and he's building to the point where if he continues to play at this level throughout the rest of the regular season and the Bucs do find themselves in that top two or top three seed, Embiid is no longer eligible. The Lakers and LeBron, I mean, maybe he'll get the vote, but he hasn't, I don't think that he's been all that impressive. I think Nikola Jokic is probably in the box seat right now if the Nuggets keep running. But the longer this goes, the more difficult it is going to be to deny Giannis a seat in those top contenders there. And it's kind of just funny to watch how this narrative is starting to unfold as the season rolls on. So uh, I'm with you where I think the injury in all likelihood ends Joel Embiid's MVP campaign. But I also look at it like this. I, I know it's happened before, and I, I know the most recent you would point to would be Russell Westbrook, but I just don't think you can win the MVP award if you finish outside the top three in your conference. And you know if, if we do go by that logic, it would, at this point, take Nikola Jokic out of the mix. And I think, you know, just as we said, there's some Giannis fatigue. I think there's some fatigue from that too, where, where voters that did vote for Russell Westbrook have kind of come to regret it, where we just voted for it because we, you know, we saw a triple-double in a season, but then you saw it happen more and more frequently. And it, it, it feels like that is almost meaningless now. We're, we had five players record a triple-double on Saturday night, the most in NBA history for a single day. So it's just much more commonplace. And I, I think you got to be towards the top of your conference. And, you know, I don't think there's anybody else on Philadelphia. I don't think Ben Simmons is in the mix there. Uh, when we look at the West, for as good as Utah has been, I don't know that they don't have just a singular MVP candidate. So really it opens the door for talking about that Embiid versus Malcolm Brogdon debate. It opens the door for Dario Saric to win the MVP award with the Phoenix Suns <laughs> now. Um, but I, I think it's going to come down to what we see from LeBron in the second half of the season. You know, if the Clippers can do anything, I guess, then Kawhi Leonard would be in that mix as well. I know that there's been some talk of Chris Paul recently. I just don't see that happening. The door is going to be open for Giannis because this is the best season of his career, and he is playing at a much higher level this season. I know the numbers are basically consistent with what he's done, but you know, just with the eyeball test, he's a much better player this year than he was in either of those two, and I think really the last, what, 10 games especially, where you can really see – some of the things, and he always talks about the maturation, but you can see that on display with how Giannis has really grown more comfortable attacking various defenses and being aggressive without scoring and getting his teammates involved. He's just on a different level this year than he has been in the past. So if the Bucks stay in the top three, which I think we all expect, um, I mean, if the Bucks end up winning the East or if they have a very strong showing where they go four and one, or something like that, or 5-0 and in those five games they have left against the Sixers and Nets, that's going to do a lot to add to the narrative for Giannis as well. That I think really the only other obvious choices is, is I know it's you're going to have a backlash to it, but James Harden is the guy right now that with Joel Embiid out of the mix, James Harden has been the MVP and the best player in that conference. Yeah, I think the Kevin Durant return is going to muddy the waters a little bit there as well because clearly – the way Durant was playing. Uh, yes I mean, and no. I mean, but we have who knows when Durant is going to be back too, and that's something that's going to help James Harden. I think so. But if he comes back and plays 
anywhere near the way that he was playing yeah. beforehand, then I think it, it'll hurt James Harden. But we will yeah, see. But, but, and more than anything else, I mean, there's just going to be a large, and it, right or wrong, I, I don't care either way, but there's going to be a large segment of voters that just are not going to reward James Harden for the first month of the season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's right. And, and again, this is why perhaps when you're looking at the conversation, you do ask the LeBron James question, but quite clearly uh, the Lakers have not been impressive at all uh, without Anthony Davis in the lineup. Uh, they haven't won many games. I think they were a three and six in the nine game stretch. Then they won on the weekend and came from behind and it was an impressive win, but LeBron James only had two points in the quarter and didn't hit a shot. And it was actually Kyle Kuzma who scored 15 points in the fourth quarter. So I, if we were voting based on what we're actually witnessing, then I think that that would be a, a knock against LeBron James' name as well. So we'll wait and see. I, I think there's no doubt he came into the season wanting the award and there will be still a strong uh, contingent of voters that want to give LeBron James the award. But the way the Lakers are going, it's going to be difficult. So I, I just think it's really fascinating to see this MVP conversation play out more than anything. And the biggest thing is that it's just been an absolute delight to watch Giannis play the last few weeks here. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I, I said, he's, to me, he's, this is the best season of his career. And I, it's the little things of just what he's picked up on, on what he needs to do against defenses and the way he's getting his teammates involved. And look, for as much as, as we'll point that out and say, Giannis, the facilitator, and, and here's what, you know, career high in assists that he's on pace to average and all these other things he's doing, it, there is more to the equation where I think this year, the Bucks have a better surrounding cast in terms of shooters around Giannis. So that certainly helps as well that, you know, he wasn't necessarily not doing it last year, but when the shots aren't falling, it's not Giannis's fault. As he told us earlier in the season, all you can do is work for the good shot and then it's up to the basketball gods. So I do think though, just the total package in, you know, how he has figured out how to navigate around these defenses and even little things like, those games against the Raptors where you think back to what happened in the conference finals where Toronto would come aggressively with those double teams. And it's, it's almost like he would panic and immediately just try to get rid of the ball where that, that takes away the advantage that you had. And now he's, you know, learned how to attack that and find where the weakness is and find where your open teammate is. And that's made him much better. And, and you know, the other thing is the free throw shooting that we don't want to jinx it, but he has been a 75% shooter for the last 15 plus games. And I mean, I don't think that's going to change anything when you get into the playoffs that he's still going to be the guy that teams foul and say, you're going to need to prove it. And we need this guy to hit free throws instead of Chris or drew holiday. But at the very least, you feel a lot more comfortable and, and confident with him right now that it's not like this is a five game stretch that we're talking about. He has consistently been doing this for a month and he, Everything about the, the whole experience looks a lot better for him. So that's certainly encouraging as well. All right. Bucks back in action tonight against the Wizards once again. Uh, please explain this to me, Justin. I'm looking at my NBA app. And as far as I can tell, you guys in Wisconsin are in daylight savings time now. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Daylight saving time. Yeah. Oh, baby. So is that a 6 p.m. tip still? It is still a 6 p.m. tip. What it means is somehow we've been robbed of an hour today. Mm. So instead of waking up at 8.30 or whatever, it, it was actually 9.30. Mm. Well, I mean, it's very disappointing for me because instead of being an 11 a.m. tip, it's a 10 a.m. tip. So for my friends here on the East Coast in Australia, uh, very disappointing that it's going to be an earlier tip. But 6 p.m. in Washington, again, remembering earlier in the season, uh, the Bucks and the Wizards had a game. Uh, what? 
that was supposed to be out there. So they're knocking out these two games here, which is cool to see. And then, of course, the Sixers later in the week. But we will be back for a post-game pod after that Wizards game. Bradley Beal expected to play in that one. So, uh, look, a challenge. A challenge for the Bucs. They're going to pick up another one that they should win and hopefully not look ahead too far to the Sixers. Justin, appreciate you. Anytime. And, and you know, I think the point you made, too, is a good one. That um, These games are important because when you're going uphill this time, you, you don't want to look back and say, man, remember those two games they dropped to the Wizards or that game they dropped to uh, the Timberwolves and games like that. you got to win those games. So, what they did on Saturday was important, and you hope they do the same for tonight. Bucks Sixers, 6 p.m. Bucks Wizards, 6 p.m. Getting ahead of myself now after I just said that the Bucks shouldn't do so. But we'll be back after that game. Stay safe. Speak to you guys then.